you for watching. Our next guest discovered the healing powers of his hands when caring for his ailing mother at a time when there was no affordable care options to help her in a small town while growing up in Barbados. Now, he is the founder of Chattel House Health and Beauty, where he continues to help those looking to relieve stress and tension from everyday life. Please help me welcome Clavia Aline. Thank you for having me, Robbie. It's definitely a pleasure to be here with you, my brother. Yes. Good to have you, man. Good Appreciate to have you. And I like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Great business, by the way. Thank you. And it's something at a time where we need it so much, right? Because of so much stress mm -hmm. and tension going on. Oh, yes. But of course, we want to know where this all started. I was born in Barbados, born and raised. Uh, we, as far as massage therapy, that that came out of a need because my mother was was working in a retail store and she used to have a very stressful job, and oftentimes she would have these very bad migraine headaches. And as her son, I was the only child. One of my jobs was to try to help mom to relieve her stress, so I would just basically give her massages. For the most part, I let her know that. We're a team in yes. this. You know, we work together. Things are difficult. The economy, the finances are difficult. But we're a team, and I try to support you in whatever way I can. I might not be able to put money on the table, but I can still support you as my mother. And this was one of the ways that it really helped the situation. I'm sure she is. She appreciates that. <laughs> I hope so. Well, I mean, she's with our she's with our, our parents and our ancestors in heaven now. She passed on. But that was one of the things that I felt very strongly about as a, as a child growing up. And I think that's one of the things that fuels me to help other people. My mother did actually uh, contract cancer later on in life. And I still returned as the caregiver and did take care of her until her final, her final days and that kind of thing. And she was laid to rest. When was this? This would have been in 2011 to 2012 that she became very ill. Sorry about that. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's go back to... Your childhood, yeah, back in Barbados. What was that like for you growing up? I was a pretty typical childhood Caribbean kid. We ran around, we got into trouble, we, you know, we played, right? Uh, I was pretty good. Even for the lack of finances, it was still a very happy, very carefree sort of uh, upbringing. How many brothers and sisters? For me, none. Only I was child. an only child. Yes, I was an only child. On my dad, on my mom's side, I should say. I did learn later on in life that I do have three sisters and one brother so we are very close now as adults and yeah i have siblings now so that's pretty awesome when did you come to canada in 1998 okay 98 yes okay. so about 22 years. yes i've been here about 22 years my daughter is about 22 years nice. so we were we were very busy as soon as we got here <laughs> <laughs> of course right of course how many kids i have three daughters i have three kids two daughters and one son nice yes they're they're very healthy spread of ages right? of my daughter is 23 years old 22 years old and my son he's the youngest he's two years old so there is a, a, a very nice spread and actually it did work out for a good because uh, at no point in time do I have two kids terrorizing the home yes. I only have one kid at a time of and I also have help because nice. the other kids would have grew up and they would have been old enough to be a nice assistant you started off doing massages right. on your parents and you you felt this passion for it. How did that develop to you? That's a funny story and it's actually kind of ironic because even though I had the background in massage and I grew up doing it, 
it was more as a, a tool to just help my mom. I never actually sat and considered it as a career. Now, when I moved to Canada, uh, I used to work. We had a kid. We had a young daughter. And so I was trying to be a provider. So I worked in various different jobs, occupations, from construction to retail to even the supermarket. And so, you know, as these things progressed, there was an incident at the supermarket where I worked at. I used to work the graveyard shift. And uh, that would be 11 to 7. And when I was leaving from work one morning around 7, 15, 7, 30, I was very tired. As anybody who works the graveyard shift, they kind of tested this. And I basically fell asleep when I was driving home. I fell asleep at the wheel and I swerved off the road and I hit a pole, which was very scary, a very startling situation. But at the same time, it was kind of a, a moment where I had to take stock of my life and realize a wake up call of sorts, you know, and, and it wasn't a knock against my job. It was just, I realized that I needed something else, something more for me and my life. And I just, from then I started to pursue an alternative career. The way how I worked, uh, there's a government sponsored program and they help to retrain people who have either been injured in a particular career and they can no longer continue or they reached a, an impasse in a particular career and they can no longer progress. So they want to re-pivot and redirect themselves in a different direction. And that's how we started to do certain tests and certain evaluations that they performed with me. That's how I found out that I had a knack for medical healthcare, which was uh, to me, I mean, they, they make it official with the tests, but I've always been a helpful person because that's how my mom raised me and that's how we worked together growing up. So being told that I would be a good fit for a healthcare profession was not a necessarily a huge surprise to me, yes. right? So yes. it was just a matter of which profession I would be suited for and massage therapy was the first one on the list. I like, I remember you. And, and it was kind of funny because then I realized when they said that to me, I was like, oh, this is easy. I've done this before. Yes, so this should be course. a cake, you know, this should be a walk in the park. And you finished your studies. Yes. And then you started working in the field. First things I wanted to do was to be mobile. I thought at the time that was a better business model because there was no overhead. So I had the mobile massage therapy service. And my goal was to provide that service to initially it was private clients. But then I switched the model to uh, more corporate clients. And so for a while, I ended up being the massage therapist at BC Hydro. Uh, they actually have facilities on site at their large offices uh, where they have a gym, there's a treatment room, so there's workout facilities. So it was very easy for me to come in, bring some of my supplies and set up and just treat the hydro staff. And I started to like that. And so my, my I guess my interest veered over towards more clinical type of massage therapy. And I wanted to set up a clinical type of setting. And so we moved from the mobile model to now we were started thinking of a brick and mortar kind of setting up my own clinic. Now that would be the challenge because as you know, there's overhead to that one. And so it would be a few more years, maybe I'd say at least seven, eight years before I could actually bring that dream into, into reality. When did you actually start your business? The, the brick and mortar? Okay, so we, we opened our, our brick and mortar store in 2018. Yes, nice. and I graduated in 2007. So it took... 12 years or 11 years, right thereabouts, to really get a firm grip and have it set up and establish a clientele. But, you know, to be honest, it worked out great because by the time I was physically or financially ready to invest in a brick and mortar location, I had developed enough clientele over the years so that when I finally opened my doors, they were actually happy for me. Because over the years of working with me, we developed relationships and they were excited to know that I finally was at a place where I could open my own location and then they could come and see me at my spot. 
And 95% of my clients follow me to that location. And I have them to this day. Wonderful. So, Wonderful. yeah, it's a testament to, yes. to the support that they gave me through the years as well. And also for the quality of work you have been doing. Appreciate that. I think people that do massage therapy, you know, those kind of healthcare professions, they don't necessarily do it for for the, the, the praise. They do it for the knowing that at the end of the day, they actually help someone have a better life, a better quality of life. And that's one of the biggest satisfying reasons for me doing my job. You know, and, and that's what keeps me going day to day. Wonderful. You mm -hmm. mentioned that getting clientele wasn't a problem. No. But were there any other challenges you experienced though? Yes. As a, I'd say initially one of the challenges I faced was being new to the entrepreneurial arena. So learning how to uh, be a business owner, be a businessman, uh, business planning, financial literacy, uh, scheduling, uh, you know, human resources. Those kind of things were all new to me. And so it was a learning curve. Uh, designing your websites, those things I taught myself, my wife, we worked together. We designed all of our websites and those kind of things on our own. So, they, you know, it was a gradual and a fairly steep at times learning curve because, as you know, as a new business owner, we don't have the capital and the finances to outsource and hire an accountant per se or, or, or you know, skilled professionals to do all of the tasks that we need done. Yeah. A lot of times we have to go on YouTube, <laughs> find a do-it-yourself video and just try to figure it out on our own. And so that was one of the bigger challenges. You know, there was also financial challenges, trying to get loans from banks, uh, you know, trying to find a location that was a, another one and a reasonably priced one in a good area. You know, so there's the usual kind of setup issues. But I think after after you learn how to maneuver in, in the business circles for a while and you gained a certain amount of clientele, you, it's easier to kind of find a way to mitigate a lot of these difficulties. And I won't say that it's an easy road, but I will encourage anyone who's on the fence in terms of should I be an entrepreneur, should I work for myself, or should I just maybe go back to school and then get a job because of the security, I would say go entrepreneur. Because as much difficulty as it is to start up, once you get it started up and established properly in a, in a sturdy framework, the, the rewards and the gains and the benefits for you in your quality of life, I think outweigh working the nine to five. I'm not gonna knock the nine to five because people are very successful doing that but I find the freedom I got from being an entrepreneur, to have time with my family, to be able to manage my own schedule. You know, there's challenges, but the rewards I think outweigh the, the, the challenges. So you're saying during the startup phase, yes. it's gonna be challenging. Definitely. Once you endure it, once you pass it to a mature stage, yes. you're gonna see the benefits. Yes. Well said. All right, you started in 2018. Yes. All right and you're figuring things out. Mm -hmm. A year or so later, right. we had a surprise. Oh, yes, a big yes. surprise. <laughs> yes. The COVID hit. Mm -hmm. How did that impact your business and how did you cope? COVID presented a, a very a few new challenges to, to the business model that we had set up. Mm -hmm. First of all, my job, as everybody knows, is contact-based and there would have been health restrictions immediately mm -hmm. to, to prevent, you know, proximity and contact and so we were actually closed for some time due to a lot of the restrictions we would have been closed for approximately three months and then I think there was a, a relaxation of some of the rules and then people were allowed with modification to our protocols in our clinic and uh, there was a guest communication with our college of massage therapy and we have established guidelines and protocols that we follow and so 
we just had to kind of readjust the the flow of clients in and out of the clinic you know to make sure we adhere to all the rules and standards and then once that was established then we had to figure out a way to make sure that people felt safe coming we persevered we we, we tried to reassure people that we followed all the guidelines we even uh, modified a lot of our procedures added additional equipment into the into the clinic air purifiers uh you know anything that we can add to the situation to make sure people were were taken care of and the health and the sanitation in the room was you know as high as it could be mm -hmm. this three months that you were out of business what was that like did you have any income no what did you do during those three months? so i had to make the best of a bad situation mm -hmm. and so what we me and my wife we sat and we brainstormed because there was no income coming from massage therapy my wife is a she's a i guess you could call her a wig specialist wigs and uh, hair prosthetics and stuff like that even that business was challenged as well because there's fittings people have to come in there's a proximity issue but regardless we had to figure out a way to uh, pivot our business to one that was COVID proof now COVID proof to me meant not having to worry about proximity not having to worry about uh, restrictions in the capacity of the building or restrictions on who was allowed in and out at the flow of those kind of things and so we decided to open a organic skincare line because when you, you have a product that you sell, there's no interaction. So there's no need to worry about distancing. There's no need to worry about protocols and health. I can market a product. If it's a successful product, if it's a quality product, people will buy it. And so we pivoted a section of our business to providing organic skincare line. And where did you sell this? Was it online? Yes, it's online. You can buy it on our website. And uh, it's completely designed here in Canada, 100% organic. And it's, it's featuring some of the highest ingredients, highest quality ingredients. During the COVID closed down, yes, the government offered a number of business loans. Right. Did you benefit from that? We did initially, yes. and uh, we tried to make the most of that because at the time, one of the biggest difficulties most businesses faced was with their rent. And so one of the biggest challenges we had was trying to work out a suitable agreement with our, obviously our landlords. And the government assistance did play a part in helping us to mitigate the issues with being closed for such a long time and so that's why we, we took advantage of those initially but because as you know some of these plans have a uh, i guess catches there's repayment issues there's there's plan there's loans basically and i didn't want to go into any financial kind of yes. debt too much and so we tried to stay away from borrowing uh, as much as possible and try to find a way to be creative in, in our financial solutions the vaccine is out right a lot of people are being vaccinated yes you know, I see the re restrictions around are getting somewhat Slightly relaxed, relaxed yes. Yeah. What are the protocols now for your industry? The the protocols for people interacting socially may have changed, but as far as the, the protocols regarding governing my practice in the clinic, they haven't really changed. The sanitation protocols are still in effect. We have HEPA filters, air filters in the clinic throughout to keep the air clean. So there's cleaning after every patient, there's, a, there's also WorkSafe has also imposed certain uh, guidelines regarding the amount of people that can be in the space at one time. And so there's, there's still a whole bunch of, of rules and regulations in place to restrict the, the exposure from one client to the other. And fortunately for me, uh, I am solo practice, which means I'm the only therapist in my clinic. And so as a massage therapist, I'm only treating one person at a time. And so the risk for you coming in as a patient to my clinic, where as opposed to going to a larger multidisciplinary facility, you're going to be exposed, you know, as far as being in a public place, way less because there's only one person allowed. 
Do you see a drop in clientele, an increase? How do you see? How is your business now? These are, this is completely uncharted waters because initially when COVID hit, I, I thought it would have been like utter devastation. I was worried about the future of the business, to be honest. And so what happened was due to the protocols and the, and the trust building kind of things that we did, people started coming back. And as they gradually came back and they realized that there was not much, there was a mitigated risk and it was being controlled and their trust returned, then I guess maybe they spread that word. And I even started to get new clients based off of that. And maybe, uh, I, I don't know, people were just stressed. I'm assuming that a pandemic situation can't be easy on anyone, but what happens is people tend to not really use their benefits towards till the end of the year, maybe from about August, September towards till December. And so what happens is the last three, four months of the year, you end up with an enormous glut of, of clients to where your schedule is almost frantic, right? Now, after December 31st, the benefits reset to the beginning. And so in the, the months, January, February, and March, Usually, and typically in most practices, you will see a significant drop in the clientele because people are trying to save their benefits. They're not, gonna, they're not in a hurry to use them right away. They kind of save them for an issue or save them towards the end of the year. And so usually the first three months of the year are slow. And I have, I guess thanks to COVID, I'm sure, the, the drop in clients did not occur this year. And I'm assuming it's due to the higher stress levels the people working at home, the more uh, restrictions involved. And I think that has forced people to find alternative ways to kind of lift their spirits. And I think that has, that's what has driven the major push in terms of the business I've seen in the slow period. What are the different services that you offer to clients? So we carry, we do uh, RMT massage. We have deep tissue massages. There's a, there is a seniors massage if you're, you know, the seniors rate clearly. Uh, there's pregnancy massage for those of you who are pregnant. All the traditional modalities, we carry them. And there's also an RMT kind of specialty for those maybe more sports oriented type individuals who have sport injuries. You have your runners, your bikers, you know, cyclists, those kind of people. And, and, and as an RMT, I'm trained to modify any kind of treatment plan that I have to, to match the, the situation or the pathology that I'm treating. What's the difference between a massage therapist mm -hmm. and a, say, a chiropractor? As far as I'm concerned, the anatomy, the physiology, and, and the orthopedic training is very similar up to a certain point. But again, chiros have a different scope of practice, meaning they have certain rules and certain um, techniques that they're allowed to do as a chiropractor because they receive the appropriate training. Uh, having said that, I mean, there's very few things, but then there's also the, the uh, aspect of a massage therapist scope of practice. We are classified as a manual, a manual profession which implies hands-on. And so as a result, I believe we are restricted in the use of electrical or, or machine use as part of our treatment modalities. Uh, whereas a physio or a chiro would be allowed to use other implements and devices as you go, you know, you've been to the, the chiro and the physio, they have ultrasounds, they have scanners. They're allowed to use and bill for those things under chiro and physio because they have a different scope of practice and they have different training. In the past, I think most times you went to the chiro office, there was a massage uh, therapist maybe in a room next door and his job or her job was to kind of loosen up the clients before they went to see the chiro for their adjustments. So a lot of these modalities, I think going forward, we should try to look into how they play together. And, you know, we do now, obviously, 
but I think a little bit more research into how they play off each other and work together in synergy, I think a lot of that would be helpful for patients going forward in the future. Mm -hmm. All right, so tell me, who should go see a massage therapist? Everyone. Why? Because all the health professions and all the modalities, manual or otherwise, they are usually, this is a general broad statement, but they're usually geared towards fixing a problem after you have the problem. They are reactive kind of therapy. Massage therapy I see as one of the few modalities that's a preventative mode of therapy. And we can definitely help them because as you know, everyone is stuck in a, in a cubicle or an office for a good eight or you know more hours per day. And that becomes one of the leading causes of other issues uh, when people come to see us. I would say the primary benefit I think of massage therapy, physiologically speaking, is on the circulation. When you get massaged, we're gonna the pressure and the, the manipulation is gonna move your fluid around your body, whether it's lymphatic fluid or interstitial interstitial fluid, whatever the fluid and the blood and circulation is gonna be affected by the massage movements. So then I start thinking about pathologies that include circulation, diabetes. That's a, a, a circulatory type of pathology. So massage therapy would be a good way for a diabetic to get treatment that doesn't involve medications. You know, and that's another thing, it's alternative, there's no medications involved, it's non-invasive, there's no surgeries, but we can still have an impact internally on the human body via the circulation. What advice do you have for people who, say, are scared or mm -hmm. uncomfortable with people touching them? Or it may be that they are tickle, mm -hmm. ticklish, ticklish yeah. or you know, they are just uncomfortable with people touching them? Uh, that's a tough one because I've been doing this for a long time and I've encountered that specific situation many times. And, and it varies from person to person, sometimes from culture to culture. So there's different reasons that affect people's apprehension. Uh, the best advice I can give uh, is, is you have to kind of establish, for one, as a therapist, your job is to, is to allow people to see that you can be trusted with their with their health. You have to be, as a, I guess as a therapist, you have to be able to accept that people are gonna have these issues. There's ways that we have to work on in terms of establishing that trust. Uh, we establish the safety, uh, meaning that you're safe to come here. Uh, you can also check, there's ways that you can go online to check your therapist. You can go to the college, they have a website. You can uh, check by name, I believe, or by registration. And you can see if that, that therapist has any issues or are they in good standing with the college? Are they registered? You know, things like that. So there's tools and, and, uh, and ways that you can kind of mitigate your apprehension. You work on one patient mm -hmm. per day per, at a time. Yeah. What's your work hours like and what's your work-life balance like? Well... That goes out the window. Work-life balance goes out the window when you're an entrepreneur, yeah. because especially in the setup phase, right? We we try to engineer the setup phase so that we can have a work-life balance after the business is established. I scheduled my clinic hours based on the family dynamic that I have. I'm fortunate to have my spouse working from home because we have a very young kid, and so that helps to mitigate some daycare issues and some transportation issues. So. Me scheduling my clinic uh, shifts uh, to coincide or to, to correlate with her work shifts helps with managing the, the daycare situation. 
our clinic space is close to our house and so that makes for you know commute back and forth to work that's a very big issue because as we know people who have to do the hour commutes or more or more that takes a huge chunk out of your day and it definitely affects your productivity so there's a few things that we looked at to try to make sure that we would have maximum time to devote to the to the business as a massage therapist your your job essentially is to help people to relax yes you know, feel good what do you do to to relax well i do actually have a couple of hobbies that i and some of them are new new hobbies that i've recently come into but uh for most of my life i've been very interested in music and music production and so I have a kind of a home studio at the house and I make my own music and you know we have a band a little group with my friends and we you know we try to come together every every few weeks to try to make some kind of music. I like going for rides and uh, now this is my new kind of hobby. Apparently there's an e-bike craze. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the electric bikes. That's the new wow. craze going around because a lot of people have more time now because of covid yes and that was my apprehension with biking because i like to ride but when you get where you're going how do you get back right because you're all exhausted but the the ability to explore and go for long ranges and those kind of things that makes it a fun makes biking a lot more fun for me and now that's the thing that i do with my family or what what are you most proud of in your life professionally or in my life Anywhere, is it in your personal life or in your business? One of the proudest things I ever did, period, would be taking care of my mother when she was sick. That's my number one. In my small way, to make her illness as comfortable and, you know what I mean, as, as, as gracious as possible, that to me was the biggest gift I could give to anybody and that was my most proud thing to do. After that, it would be being a father. Because in my personal life, my father was absent. I never had one. He was gone when I was a baby. And so growing up, one of my issues was if I ever had kids, I had to be the best father that they ever lived. And I've tried to do that with my children. And I think they, they appreciate it now. And so that would be the second most, I guess, biggest thing I'm proud of. Uh, third would be the career that I've managed to build and, and the profession that I, you know, my job and my business. Those things that we built from scratch no help me and my wife we hours in the morning trying to teach ourselves how to do all of these different skills that we have no idea you know the learning curve then trying to instill that value not those those values in the children and watching my daughters you know grow and understand what it means to be an entrepreneur what it means to be a black entrepreneur you know the, the significance you know uh, teaching them about their culture their history those are the things that i'm the most proud of and i hope that the small contribution I can make in the community here can create ripples and we can kind of build on, on the momentum that we're seeing you know, in and around the world recently. How are you giving back to see the community? Okay, so for me personally, I say I do that on a daily basis with my job first, right? On a, on a community level, me and my wife founded the Black Business Association of BC. We started that because we realized the stuff that we went through and the struggles that we had, any young entrepreneur, especially from the community, is going to have similar issues. And I knew the challenges, you know, they're great. And so we wanted to provide some kind of resources to help young people and encouragement too. Because, you know, when you look at the things you have to do, a lot of times people go, it's too much, I can't do it. But we wanted to show people, yes, you can. 
and there are resources and people that are willing to help you that have been through the similar situation, that have been where you are, you know, and, and felt all the desperation and the despair, but they found a way. And I wanted, especially younger people, because, you know, in our community, if you look around BC, there's not really much of a black business presence. And so we need to have young people interested in creating businesses of their own and not being afraid of the hurdles or the obstacles or whatever challenges they're going to face. You know, and, and that was one of the passions that, that drove us to create it, have resource based, um, app, I guess, resources available to people online, have networking resources available for people where you can link other businesses in the community. You can find them, you can access their services and that way bring everybody together under, you know, an umbrella. And from there, once you have that unity and those connections, you build and you expand because this is the time that we need to empower each other work together, especially now, and try to build. So that's what I'm hoping to do with our association. You have a number of businesses, and you also talk about you want to expand mm -hmm. your businesses. What kind of support are you looking for, either to be, to be clients, mm -hmm. or are you looking for partners or anything? What we were looking to do is, with the association, we're trying to have resources available. Because a lot of times in, in, the, in the entrepreneurial area, people there's avenues for people to access funding, but they're not aware of them. And sometimes it's as simple as pointing them in this particular direction and letting them know that, yes, there are resources over here for your sector that you can apply for and possibly even get government funding to help kickstart your business. And so that, you know, that task involves sourcing them out, putting them in a format where you can access them and then helping you go through the grant application process because that's fairly technical and that's another fairly involved process as well. How can people reach you? Our website is www.chattelhousespas.com uh, With regards to the community work, the Black Business Association of BC, uh, you can find us at www.blackbusinessbc.ca me and my wife, Nerissa, we've been working on that for over a year now, or almost a year, and we are very, very proud of the work we were able to accomplish in such a short space of time. And the community has been very supportive. I think we all started to see the vision. I think it's all starting to, to gel and come together. I hope that we continue to build in this spirit and grow in this spirit, and we encourage our youngsters to be more entrepreneurial. Those are the kind of dreams and aspirations that I have going forward. We're all in this together. I think COVID has shown and has exposed a lot of, uh, of things in the society where we're realizing that we need to work together at, in different communities, but we still need to come together as one community because it affects everyone, business-wise, personal-wise, socially. Well said, well said. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate being here. Thank you, man. And thanks for watching. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and you'll find what Clelia said to be beneficial. Subscribe to our channel, like this video if you find it useful, or you enjoy what you saw. You know, share it with your friends and family. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.